All right. For those of you that, uh, by the way, I guess our men look better when they don't shave for a couple of days. There you go. Um, speaking about why the men all look so good on that video. For those of you who were here last Sunday, oh, Children's Church, that's right, thank you. Uh, Children's Church, for those of you between the ages of two and six, uh, you want to head on out to the back and we wish you leaders and all you kids uh, a very, very good time and believe that God is going to be with you down there and God is going to help you to enjoy each other and also to experience blessings from him. All right. For those of you that were here uh, last Sunday, by the way, wasn't that uh, an amazing Father's Day service that we had here last Sunday, for those of you that were here? I, I was incredibly blessed. To me, it felt so much like we were experiencing and doing what church is all about as we were sharing with each other experiences of godly men in our lives who had exemplified godly qualities and characteristics and challenged us to do the same. In some cases it was dads, in some cases it was other godly men that God has put into our lives and we shared each other with each other from a broad perspective um, the experiences that we've had, rich experiences of, of God placing godly men in our lives who have challenged us and led us uh, as individuals and uh, I just felt like it was an incredible service and I want to thank all those of you that, that were willing to share uh, last Sunday morning. I also let you know last Sunday that uh, this Sunday and, uh, and next Sunday I was going to be speaking to you a little bit or sharing with you a little bit about some of our uh, sabbatical highlights and maybe more specifically kind of the, the biblical or spiritual highlight that I believe God kind of gave me during our, our sabbatical time. Thank you to all those of you that have kind of generously uh, uh, welcomed us, verbally at least, welcomed us back, and, and it is really good to be back. Uh, last Sunday morning I was speaking in, uh, at the Heritage, and there were a few people there, uh, elderly people that welcomed me back, and I said, you're, you're, you're going to take me back? And one of them said, well, do we have any choice? And uh, of course that was, I believe, I hope, it was tongue-in-cheek, and we all chuckled about that a little bit, and I said, probably not, actually. And so, but it is, it is really, really good to be back. And so I do want to share with you a little bit about our sabbatical, the last four months that, that we've been on from the pastoring duties in our church. Um, the intent is that a sabbatical will be a break from the normal stresses of a ministry role and is going to help you get ready for the next chapter in your ministry journey. Um, it's not intended to just be a holiday. Uh, these first two pictures that, uh, that you're going to see or have seen already are are taken during our time in the Dominican together with Bert and Elma. That was fantastic. We did a little bit of work there. We also did do some holiday time there, and, and it was a very good time. A sabbatical is intended to have an element of self-care in it, but it is also intended to be intentional about somehow contributing to the life of the church. And so the intent is to step away a little bit from some of the things that you're weary of, and, uh, and in our case, kind of identifying some of the things that are therapeutic for you. Uh, and then uh, ask, you know, how can we kind of step away from those things that we're kind of weary of? How did that get into there? <laughs> Apparently, real men do go to Thermea. 
for those of you that were wondering, just a little challenge. Uh, that, was a, that was a good day we had together there, of course. Um, so identifying some of the things that are therapy for you, stepping away from some of the things that you kind of feel like you're weary of, and then trying to somehow incorporate the therapeutic things into your life in a way that is still going to kind of somehow bless and benefit the church. And for some of you, you know that, you know, I, I do find therapy in working with my hands. And, uh, and so together with the help of some of our church committees, we identified some kind of projects that needed or that us as a church, we as a church would benefit from if they happened in the church. And I felt incredibly honored and blessed that I was able to, during our sabbatical time, uh, work on some of those physical projects. And together with, uh, please, please know it wasn't just me, many others, but together with many others, um, help working on changing the coffee bar in our church, um, working on setting up a digital projector upstairs in the Sunday school room, um, working on changing about 100 fluorescent light fixtures, the wiring, uh, all the ones kind of in behind the valance up there, uh, changing the wiring so that those are now LED fixtures instead of, instead of the existing uh, old-time fluorescent lights. And, and so there shouldn't be any more of this kind of flickering back there, hopefully, uh, if everything goes as planned. If the, if the electrician did his job, then, uh, then there should be no more flickering back there. And, uh, and then also the church sign. I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a little bit pumped today as I was driving to church and I saw that church sign. I'm a, how many of you noticed that sign took another significant, so there's quite a few of you, that's good, took another very significant step towards uh, completion this last week uh, with some of the uh, incorpor incorporating some of that metal work onto that sign. And actually, uh, you can quote us on this, the church sign is finished. Uh, we did a little checking this morning, and, uh, and that sign was uh, the beginning of, of this plan, or this sign was birthed about four years ago. So um, somebody mentioned, I think Nathan Waldner said, you know, when he thinks about this church sign, he's reminded of a quote that he'd heard someplace, you know, when a man says he's going to do something, uh, he will do it. He doesn't need to be reminded every six months. <laughs> and... Uh, that church sign might be somewhat of an example about, uh, you know, giving some validity to that quote. So although I did not study during my uh, sabbatical time, because that's one of the th categories in my head that was weary, uh, I did spend a fair amount of time thinking and praying and reading scripture and talking about future life together with Pearl. And uh, probably some more of that is going to come up down the road at some point. Uh, but this morning and next Sunday... I want to kind of share my sabbatical, biblical highlight with you. And, uh, and I hope you're going to, I hope it's going to also be significant and meaningful to all of us and, and not just so for me. Uh, most of my Bible reading during my sabbatical was in the book of Colossians. It's not a very long book and some of you know, I've shared this with you before, that when I do my Bible reading, I typically kind of plod my way through. I, I'm not a guy that reads chapter after chapter in one day and can digest that all. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a kind of a plodder and I read a couple verses and probably read those few verses several days in a row and I, and I try and kind of allow that to, 
to sink into my, my psyche. And, and that's what it was, the book of Colossians. Most of my time during my sabbatical was in that book. And, and so much of it became so very, very rich for me. And then there was this little section that I felt like I wanted to share with you as a church family. And, uh, and beyond that, um, here's the challenge for all of you. Um, I really, really want to strongly challenge all of us to memorize during the summer months Colossians chapter 3 verses 11 to 17. Colossians 3 11 to 17. Uh, I really and we're going to kind of keep reminding you about this because we do feel like there's a nugget here that God shared with me uh, that became meaningful to me that is uh, intended to be a blessing for all of us in our church as a, as a community, as a church community, as a church family. And so, um, and so we're going to kind of push you a little bit to stretch your brain, write it on a few cue cards if that's what you need, put it into your phone if that's what you need, uh, put it on a screen saver if that's what you need, but somehow so it's going to pop up over and over and, uh, and you're going to see this again and again and you're going to be challenged to uh, memorize uh, these few verses. I, I really feel like there's a nugget in there for us as a church family. So... Let me take today and next Sunday to expand a little bit on why I feel like these verses are pretty significant and why they kind of captivate me. So first of all, this is written to a church group. Uh, there's good stuff in here for you as an individual. And, uh, and uh, read it and, and use the thoughts in it to edify or build you up as an individual. But I feel like over and over we need to remind ourselves, especially in our culture, which is very individual in many ways, we need to remind ourselves again and again that actually almost all of Scripture was written with the assumption that we are going to be living out our faith in the context of a group of people. For the most part, uh, the assumption is that you're not doing Christianity, you're not doing your faith journey, you're not doing life journey on your own. You're doing it in the context of a group of people. And again, these verses here are written with the intent of us understanding or with the assumption that we understand that life and the faith journey is meant to be lived out in the context of, of community, in the context of a group of people. We call that church or we call it community. Sometimes we call it family, church family, uh, but it's intended to be lived out in that context. It's one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, about church is because, and not that I believe for a minute that we've got it all captured here, but we're working and pursuing and trying to capture what was intended when God originally came up with the idea of church. And we're going to continue to be on this pursuit. Even during the Sunday school this morning, there was uh, uh, the video that we were watching had some very significant challenges uh, about, about being church doing fellowship and so here Paul writes again and he writes to a community and he begins the chapter we're going to back up a little bit from verse 11 where I encourage you to start with your memorizing we'll jump back to the beginning of the chapter uh, he begins chapter 3 uh, and as you read you cannot help but take note of the challenge there's a significant focus challenge here in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and the challenge is to shift your focus from earthly stuff to kingdom of heaven stuff. From the pursuits of this earth to shift your focus upward to the kingdom of heaven or upward to Jesus. Set your hearts on things above, he says, and set your minds on things above. It is a crazy challenge 
that has plagued, I'm going to say that has plagued humanity throughout the centuries. Uh, this challenge of setting our hearts and our minds and focus on things above. Uh, and, and certainly, be, you know, not just because I'm a pastor do I get to be exempt from this. Uh, it would be great if that were the case. I would love that. But this is a challenge for me on an ongoing daily basis. It's a challenge for me to continue to focus, to focus upward. You know, we're so physical by nature, we as human beings, that again and again we're drawn to the things that we can, that we can see and the things that I can feel and the things that I can touch and the things that I can hear and smell and taste, all of those physical things. And again and again, over and over and over all the time, I'm drawn to the physical stuff here on this earth. And, and I believe it's natural, and so it's a, it's a kind of a challenge, it's a fight that we, uh, that we embark on every day as, as in our faith journey is that we change our focus from the earthly stuff to the, to the heavenly stuff or to the above stuff. Because we like the things that make us feel good. We like the things that are pretty and look nice and the things that taste good and sound good and smell good. And so over and over, our focus is earthly in our daily pursuits. We are over and over tempted to look at and pursue and focus on the earthly things. We do that kind of in our daily pursuits. We also actually, in many ways, um, have done that throughout the centuries in Christianity. We've done that in our faith journey. Um, we have made rules about physical things, believing that somehow those rules about the physical things are going to help us to be more spiritual. And that's one of the things that Paul was challenging when he was writing the book of Colossians. The rules about physical things that people had made and that they were assuming were somehow going to make them more spiritual. And so somehow it's one of the reasons why he says quit focusing on the earthly things or on the physical things. Start focusing on God. Paul challenges us to move beyond those physical things and focus on the things that are above. As I was thinking about this, and then there's challenges here towards unity also, and so I was kind of putting those together. As I was thinking about this, um, and I just invite you to think with me. I, I, I'm not giving you the answers, but I'm, I'm asking you to think together with me. Is it not true, in, in, in the realm of Christianity and church, is it not true that the things we tend to fight and argue about in the church or between churches are almost always physical things or earthly things? What kind of clothes we wear or don't wear what we do or don't do on a Sunday, what kind of holidays we should or shouldn't take, or what we should eat or drink, how we should spend our money, what kind of songs we should or shouldn't sing in church, who should be allowed to speak in church and who shouldn't be allowed to speak in church. We don't actually very often argue about whether or not Jesus died on the cross to save me or not. I haven't heard any of you arguing about whether his death on the cross is sufficient to save me or not. And is he God's son or not? And is he coming back or not? Thank you, Frank, for that reminder today. We might argue a little bit about when and what some of the signs are and the timing. By the way, timing is also an earthly thing. And so we argue about these earthly things, but we actually don't very often argue about, about the things above. And so as we focus on the earthly things again and again, we're drawn, we don't really argue very often about God being you know, somehow, we don't understand exactly how, but somehow being three in one. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yep, I'm in. Oh, we argue a little bit maybe about how the Holy Spirit reveals himself, what the manifestations, by the way, that's an earthly thing also, what the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are. We might argue somewhat about that, but we don't actually argue that there is a Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is with us all day, every day, and the Holy Spirit leads us towards, you know, the Father, and that somehow Jesus, the Son, was the one who died on the cross for us and provided the way. We don't often argue about those, those things above, but we argue about this earthly stuff, about how to live this out. Much of Colossians chapter 2, actually, is Paul's challenge to them. Listen to, I'm just going to read a couple of those verses for you. Colossians chapter 2, and I'm going to read for you verse uh, 16 and 17, and there's quite a bit more there. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Set your mind on things above. And if you need more, you can continue reading from uh, where I read in 60, verse 16 and 17 down to the end of the chapter. It's almost all a challenge by Paul for them to not focus on earthly stuff, but rather to focus on, to focus on Jesus. Focus on things above. I'm not much of a photographer, uh, but this focus thing is pretty big in the photography world. I don't know if you remember um, a few minutes ago when we were watching this Gem Lake video. Um, I don't know if you remember a very, very handsome man that was actually, it was hard to see whether he was very handsome or not because he was kind of out of focus. But the fish was very, very clearly in focus. It was actually a picture of, of Brad Penner. And he was holding this fish and he was very much out of focus. And, uh, and the fish was very much, that picture by the way was taken by a professional photographer. Some of you may know him, his name is Mike Thiessen, very gifted photographer. He actually came along on the trip. He did the whole video that we just finished watching. And I, I just want to thank Mike right here, right now. There's the, there's the picture. Thank you. Um, now, I, I, we're putting it up for a specific reason. Um, it would actually be rather insane of us to take any amount of time to argue about what Brad Penner looks like. That, or what brand of glasses he's wearing he is wearing yeah he is wearing glasses or what color shirt he has or what kind of a cap he has or what it says on the cap or anything about him or how tall he is or how short he is all of that doesn't matter he's out of, we're not focusing on Brad Penner on this picture so why argue about Brad Penner and what he looks like what are we focused we're focused on the fish and so, sure, let's talk about what kind of a fish it is. Let's talk about how big it is. Let's talk about how it's going to work to fill the fish. Let's talk about whether it's going to be good to eat or not and what kind of seasoning you're going to use if you want to talk about that. We can talk about the fish, but let's not argue about the stuff that's not in focus. Let's not argue about the stuff that we're not focusing on. And I believe it's an illustration of what Paul's trying to say here. Let's not argue about the periphery stuff that's not in focus. Let's focus on... What matters? Let's focus on the things above. Let's focus on, on Jesus. I'm, I, I don't even feel quite right, you know, using the terminology things above. Um, because it really isn't things. I mean, it's the best word that we can, I guess, come up with. But it's, it's Jesus. Focus on 
Jesus. Focus on his message of reconciliation for humanity. In a minute, we're going to look at verse 11, the part that I actually want to challenge you to, to memorize during the course of the summer. Uh, the last little bit of verse 11 there says, but Christ is all and is in all. And it's just an all-encompassing concept that it's all about Jesus. And it's a call for us to focus, to, to zero in on, to see everything else kind of out of focus around it. It's all periphery. It's all about Jesus. And if you look at chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, I think those are also the verses that were in the bulletin. Um, chapter 1, here in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus. Really, really, it's all about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is all in all. That's a concept that has, has, has just been impressed on me over and over during this little sabbatical time. It's all about him, and it's from him, and it's through him, and it's for him, and it's because of him. And in a way, we shouldn't even really need to remind each other about the fact that we want to focus on him, because it really is all about Jesus. And I really believe that capturing this truth is revolutionary for any individual, and I believe it's revolutionary for a church family. So with that in mind, let's take a couple of minutes, remaining minutes, and let me just begin to uh, explain a little bit verses 11 and 12. This little section begins with a, a very interesting verse, and a verse that's become very significant and meaningful to me. Here. And so he's saying, in the kingdom, or in the church, when a group of Christian people get together, here, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. And maybe you're sitting there and you're kind of wondering, okay, so, but how, like, how does that connect? Well, is it fair to say it like this? Uh, when we get Jesus, when we get the cross, then we must see this amazing truth that in front of him, all people are on a level playing field. And so for the purpose of giving you something that you can grab a hold of and walk home with, I'm going to say it like this. Jesus is the basis for how we view people. There's a clear intentional connection here in Colossians between understanding who Jesus is and how integral he is and how central he is and how everything is about him and for him and from him and because of him. There's a clear connection here between understanding that and what that means and coming to view other people correctly. And the idea that the first place that this should be lived out is in the church, in his body, in the kingdom. That's the first place that this should be lived out. Because we get it that we have Jesus in focus. And that it's all about him. 
So, very specifically, he uses some examples here. Of course, the big one in their world was this bold, clear dividing line between Greeks and the Jews. It was a very clear social dividing line. You do not connect with each other. Nobody dared to mess with that line. It was probably every bit as bold and stark as the, as the white-black dividing line in the time of the Civil War or during apartheid in South Africa. Those, are, of course, are extreme examples. You know that we could bring that much closer to home, maybe with a little less extreme examples. But still, dividing line type examples on a social level. Paul says, not in the church. Not in the body of Christ. We don't have social dividing lines. From there, he quickly goes and brings in the religious element also. He brings in this circumcised, uncircumcised thing. I'm not going to go into details of what that exactly means physically. You can Google that if you need to. But what he is moving into is the ultimate dividing line in their world between people who were religious and those who were not. This was a measuring stick in their culture. Anyone who was passionate about separating themselves from the unclean multitudes around them and be truly consecrated to God would have undergone this physical ritual. Surely it is essential for living out your commitment to God. That is what many people very, very clearly believed. He says, not here. Not in the church. We do not divide on the basis of religious rituals. Here it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus' death on the cross. It's about his message of reconciliation. Jesus. Then he moves on to another category of possible discrimination. This was the one that kind of intrigued me because I really hadn't clearly understood or, or, or even given it much thought prior to this last week when I decided to study it a little bit further. Um, he references the barbarian and the Scythian. Now, Bible dictionaries tell us that a bi barbarian is one whose speech is rude, rough, and harsh, and often one who speaks a foreign or strange language which is not clearly understood by the norm. A Scythian was an inhabitant of Scythia, or modern-day Russia, and the Scythians were regarded as the worst of the barbarians. You thought the barbarian was bad, now we're going one step further. And so it was discrimination on the basis of speech and language. Can I say accents? Ever tempted to do that? Someone with a different way of expressing himself. Maybe words or phrases mixed in there that were not allowed in your home growing up. We sometimes talk about, ooh, those are words that my mother didn't teach me. Paul says, here in the church, we're not going to draw differentiation between those kind of things. Habits of speech are not going to dictate which side of the line you are on. Here we're focusing on Jesus. Then he references one other huge kind of watershed or dividing line factor. He says, slave or free? Pretty significant. In our world, we might just want to say economically based distinctions. And again, Paul says, not here. Not in the family of God. Not in the church. Here in the church, in God's kingdom, those things are out of focus. We don't concentrate on those things because they are physical. They are earthly. 
here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Here, because of Jesus, who is all and in all, everybody matters equally. See, although I'm not a huge fan of everything that comes with our tolerance-obsessed culture, there is an element of that which is actually very godly. The fact that we are being forced to shift our way of thinking to the fact that everyone matters equally. No more discrimination, not based on race or gender or age or money or anything else. Here there is no distinction. Paul says, here in this group of people, here in the kingdom of God, we do not draw those kinds of lines between people. And so Jesus becomes the basis for how we view other people. There's a lot of things when I read scripture that I'm not 100% sure about. But this thing I am sure about. All human beings are created equal before God. All are equal in need of God's grace and his death on the cross. And all equally recipients of his love and his grace, and his mercy. And that takes me to the next statement. The first little phrase in verse 12, and we're going to call it, or say, title it, Jesus is the basis for how you view yourself. Jump to verse 12 where it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, holy and dearly loved, you are, holy and dearly loved. I was marveling at this again this past week. I was talking to a mature individual, not from our community, but in his circles. He would be seen as a confident, kind of a mover and a shaker. He works hard. He's been very successful in his world. And I talked for him just for a little bit, and he begins talking about how hard he works and what he's all doing and how other people his age are already retired, but he's still working 12 hours a day. And I listened to that a little bit, and then when I drove away, I kind of smiled to myself, and I said, really, yeah? Really, everybody is struggling with self-esteem. Everybody is struggling with a healthy self-image. And we try and find ways to satisfy that within ourselves. And sometimes that means we speak about it to other people, and sometimes we just try and convince ourselves, and we think that somehow having something new will make me feel okay or about myself. If only I had made more money or had more friends or a better car or a house or a nicer flower garden. If only my kids behaved a little bit better or my grandkids behaved a little bit better or this or that or something else. Maybe if I work a little bit harder than everybody else or I can walk faster than anybody else my age, we are above average in this or that or the other thing. Somehow we do this crazy mental game or we talk or we post or we tweet or we Twitter somewhere somehow I'm going to be able to feel good about myself again when all the while scripture tells us you are already holy and dearly loved base what you think about yourself on who Jesus is on what Jesus has done it doesn't have anything to do with you it doesn't matter if you can work harder than anybody else your age. It doesn't matter if you've made more money than anybody else your age. It doesn't matter if you're the best person on the sports field or on the, on the ice rink or, or on the court. It doesn't matter. Base what you think about yourself on who Jesus is. 
in what Jesus has done for you. It doesn't matter the mistakes you've made. Based on what you think about yourself, on who Jesus is, focus on Jesus. Because he is all and is in all. He has got you. You are holy and dearly loved. And because you understand that, or when you understand that, when you understand that you are holy and dearly loved, then, then I believe you begin to become equipped and ready to live out what the next part of verse 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 say, and we're going to get into that next week. Then you become ready to live out being clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiving each other just as God forgave you. But we can't even consistently begin to live that out until we get it. I am, outside of myself, I am holy and dearly loved just because of who Jesus is, just because of what he's done. It's all about him. Shift our focus to Jesus. He is the basis for how we view each other, and he's the basis for how we view ourselves, and I believe those two are very, very closely linked. So, commit to memory. Colossians chapter 3, 11 to 17. That's my challenge. That's our challenge. We've talked about it together as a pastor team, because we're convinced that if we can live out this little section of verses here in our church, it will take us a long way toward capturing the essence of what God is calling us to be in his kingdom. Amen. I invite you guys to stand or turn your eyes upon Jesus.